This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hear me? I did. I heard you. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need. You just say that and they show up. They come jumping out of a shrub. Oh, cool. No matter where you are in life, when you need the coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, my name is Barack Obama, and I feel ambivalent about being Conan <laughs> O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk and lose, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are going to be friends. Hello there and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Uh, this is not your normal episode. I've just got to be upfront about it. I've had the pleasure of uh, interviewing many uh, terrific guests, luminaries, stars. Um, but today we will be talking to uh, President Barack Obama. Oh, you say we. Okay, yeah, I should get into really this. We. It's not yeah. we. It's not we. And it couldn't be we. I will be talking. Could have. To yeah, could have, could have easily President Obama. No, actually, you couldn't have been there, either of you, because there's something called a Secret Service background check. <laughs> uh, Sona, do you admit that you've committed some petty thefts that you've admitted to in the past? Yeah, but it doesn't mean I can't meet a president. Oh, it actually Because also, I've never been does. caught. It I've actually, never been caught. You admitted to it on the air. They yeah. were aware of that. But so, the statute no. of limitations was up, and I would have been allowed to be in the same room as him, I think. Uh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I was quite certain that you wouldn't pass the background check. I mean, first of all, you've admitted to shoplifting. Yeah. You're a shoplifter. I can't I'm have... not a shoplifter. I was I was a shoplifter. You were a shoplifter uh, <laughs> who's never been, and you've never actually gone through the criminal justice system because right. you evaded uh, capture. So, so good. For those reasons, what Cat am I going to- burglar. What am I going to do? For those reasons, there's nothing I can do. What but, did Matt do? Yeah. Well, Matt, apparently you've been involved in other podcasts <laughs> other than this one. 
You know what? And I'm not going to fight that one. Yeah. That's and, true. Uh, the president yeah. wanted to know what kind of podcasts they were. Were they mainstream or was it some kind of niche <laughs> yeah. uh, comedic, uh, you know, bullshittery? And the bad news came in. So I couldn't bring you, I couldn't risk it. He got a one line report for me that just said podcast slumming. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And I get it. Yeah. It was cool. I will say that um, just a little behind the scenes magic. Uh, I flew to DC. We set up uh, our podcast uh, little studio there with the help of uh, Will Becton and Aaron Blair. Oh, they got to go. Oh, oh yeah, so of course. That must have been fun yeah, for them. Yeah, apparently. Well, apparently, uh, no shoplifting among those uh, among those oh, guys. Please, Will and Blair are both very yeah. shifty. Oh, we did find out that Will uh, set fire to uh, a silo <laughs> uh, about six years ago, but it was accidental. Um, yeah, he lit the chicken on fire, and the chicken ran to the silo, and, and it's. <laughs> So yeah, it's one of those things that you just can't foresee. But anyway, um, Secret Service didn't have any problem with that. They say that stuff happens all the time. Um, yeah, they said what happens on a rural soy farm doesn't is not in our business. Um, so anyway, my point is that uh, flew to DC. There, we're all set up and ready to go. And it was this sort of hotel suite that we got. And I was in this other area of the suite um, there was like this fancy coffee machine in the suite, like a little kitchen and a fancy coffee machine. And I was staring at it when I hear President Obama come into the podcast space with his entourage. And he just was very, uh, do you guys remember this? Blay, uh, do you remember it? Blay will. He was very much, uh, an hello, Adam. hello. He was very, an Adam. He was very much like, hello, hello, over the top. You guys can speak, can't you? <laughs> he was very chill. He fist bumped all yeah. of us, which oh, was yeah, that's yeah. Cool. And then I went from, I went from Come my on. fist bump and he left me hanging. Um, yeah, which I think was appropriate. Wow. But he walked in, he was very much like, hello, hello, hello. How's it going? And he had that, and I started laughing and I couldn't stop laughing. And I walked up to President Obama and I just, I was laughing. And he was looking at me like, what are you laughing for? And I said, I've been laughing because you sound just like a, a Barack Obama impersonator. And he went, I guess I do. And then uh, he said, you know, my favorite uh, one, I think is, I think Jordan Peele. I think Jordan Peele uh, did the the best Obama impression. And we sort of were chatting about Obama impressions and he was grading them, like which ones he liked. Oh my God, that's so cool. (laughs) Immediately we were nerding out on comedy, which was really fun. Oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah. Must have been so nice. Oh, you know what what I love? You'll never know how nice it was. It was just fantastic. No, no, you've you've done a few things with him over the years and I've always gotten so close. I've gotten you close a couple of times to meeting uh, President Obama when I've done various uh, functions that he's involved. House but correspondence I, dinner. Yeah, and you were there. In Washington. But I, but I can't, I can't. I've tried to get you close a couple of times and I tried to get you to meet him, but something about you, I think- they, What? I, the Secret what? Service is always creating a, they're just, they keep you back. You look they little, keep no. me back. They look a little, you look no. a little cuckoo. I think you know you're jealous. I mean? He might like me more than he likes you. Yeah. Well, okay. And Gorley, you, you're going to side with that idea? <laughs> yeah. And also you've turned us into lifelong Republican voters. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm, I am I am sorry that you guys uh, didn't get to be there, but um, you know we wanted to we wanted to keep it small, and uh, I wanted to protect President Obama from Ugh. any potential embarrassment <laughs> by two yokels, um, one a career criminal, the other a known over podcast producer. <laughs> too many podcasts, uh, too much strange content. 
uh, too niche. Anyway, I hope you will forgive me and you'll understand, but uh, this interview goes a little longer. And uh, as you can imagine, we thought it was better to chat more with uh, President Barack Obama. Uh, so there will be no um, segment at the end. Oh. But listen all the way through because I, I, I really did enjoy this conversation a lot. It was very meaningful to me. Uh, my guest today was the 44th president of the United States. It was a delight to talk to him about so many things. We cover a lot of ground, uh, including his new book, A Promised Land, which is available now. President Barack Obama, welcome. Okay, let's talk about this ambivalent. Ambivalent, that's what I get. I flew to Washington. I think that's probably why I feel ambivalent. I, I'm feeling a little pressure, you know, because you've gone to a lot of effort. Would it calm you down if you knew I was going to be in D.C. anyway? Okay. Yeah, that, that makes there's a boat better. show in town that I never miss. <laughs> there's a yacht that I have my eye on. And that's I never good. miss a chance. Uh, you good. know, I, first of all, obviously it goes without saying it's a huge honor that you would that uh, you would talk to me. We have crossed paths many times. Many times. Over the years. Including with Christmas elves. Oh, God. Yes. There have been so many uh, events that I've done over the years, some more prestigious than others. Uh, I was hosted, I'm not going to say had to, but I was asked to, would you host Christmas in Washington, which is a show that I'm sure was near and dear to your heart. <laughs> you look thrilled, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You, your wife, the kids, just delighted to spend your valuable Christmas time in an armory in Washington. And uh, I was one of the performers. And boy, is that a dead room. That's the deadest room I've ever worked with in comedy. And uh, But I remember the closing act was, remember the rapper Psy? Yes. He did Gangnam Style. And he did it with a bunch of women dressed as reindeers. And it was hilarious. And I looked out. You were laughing as hard as anyone I've seen laugh in my lifetime. And I felt so good because I thought, yes. He brought joy to me <laughs> in what was, let's face it, a, a pretty stiff uh, uh, deal. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember, but uh, he actually came out and pretended to do sort of a cheesy karaoke version yes. of the Christmas song. Yes. Right? So yes. he's like. And he doesn't speak English right, very well, right. or if at all. And, and he, so, chestnuts open on and on. And everybody's kind of looking at each other like, is, is this for real? Because yeah. there were actually acts in that uh, yeah. show where you'd have people singing Christmas songs who shouldn't. And so it was possible that this is, was the act. That he and had then made the wrong choice. That he'd made the wrong choice. And then about, you know, uh, what, maybe two verses in. Then suddenly he starts breaking he into said, Gangnam Style. Yes. It was you, fantastic. You were so happy. I was Here's Partly I, because I was really worried he was going to go through the whole Christmas song. Here's what I remember most about that show is that uh, I think I, I don't want to say had to. I was asked to do it twice. And again, not a comedy environment. Uh, I shared the bill with Justin Bieber. Now, this is Justin Bieber when he's quite a young man. Did I mispronounce his name? I think I might have said Justin Bieber. Did you say Bieber? Because he also did... Um, the Easter egg roll right. at the White House. And I know at one of them, my daughters were mortified <laughs> because I'm announcing who is singing. And, and I said, and we're so lucky to have Justin Bieber here because <laughs> I didn't know the kid. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, he was a very sweet young young man. Uh, yeah, he, he, was, he was. He was. I. He was. He had just broken out. He had just broken out. Yeah. But he was a huge deal, and uh, I was there. There was a line, and this is where uh, I really felt to you in these moments because. Um, your humanity is always present. You're a real person. You didn't become another entity when you became president. You're a real person who's there enduring these very long lines of photo ops, which I, I could just observe from a distance. And I've had a tiny fraction of this myself where you feel your soul leaving your body. And I'm in a <laughs> long line and my son wants to take a picture with you and my daughter. And my son at the time is eight I'm seven or eight years old or six years old, and he's having a full-on meltdown. He hasn't eaten. My wife and I are trying to find food for him. He isn't having food, and he's having a full-on meltdown. And he sits down on the ground, and we're saying, you've got to stand up. You're going to meet the president and the first lady. And he said, I don't want to meet the president. And I can see you, and you are 15 feet away, smiling and shaking hands with Turner executives and pretending to have a good time. He's like, I don't want to, no, I don't want to, no. And just then, Justin Bieber, who's, in front of us in line decides to intervene and he turns around and he puts his hand on my son's head and he rubs his hair and he goes, hey, chill, little man. And my son turns around and said, stop it. Leave me alone. <laughs> and that is a great story. No one has ever, I wanted my son, I was telling the Secret Service, if you've got a shot, take it. Take this kid out. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got a daughter. I, I will not be embarrassed in front of the president, but no one has spoken to Justin Bieber like that since. And I think it would have- I, I wonder if, if, if uh, it changed Justin. It, I, it might have been- <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's possible that he thought, you know what, this nice guy thing's not working for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get a did, tattoo. He did really change after that, I noticed. Interesting. Uh, the, uh, so, backtrack just for a second, though. Mm -hmm. you, you made an important parenting observation. Michelle figured this out faster than I did. Half of misbehavior or crankiness with kids is they're sleepy or they're hungry. You know, it's hard when you're doing these events and you got to dress them up. Right, but right. generally speaking, you know, when young parents ask for advice, it's like, just make sure they're fed and they're getting naps. And and that solves a big chunk of problems. What you learn quickly, what my wife learned is you got to have some crackers or you got to have a juice box or a fruit roll up in the purse. Yes. And when this meltdown was happening, I'll never forget what you, I think you realize this, because when I was reading your book, I realized how aware you are of what the presidency does how this there's a force field around you right. but what happens is three hours before you show up no one can leave the building anytime no. i've done an event for you they shut it down the whole atmosphere changes so my wife had thought i'll just go out and get a juice box no, I can't do it it's your fault i mean it's a it's a military operation and yeah. and you have to think in those terms i mean michelle and she's a very well-organized person anyway mm -hmm. uh, but like if we had long flights with the girls she she would with military precision. She'd be rolling out the coloring books and the goldfish and the and it's all timed to right. fifteen you know in fifteen minute increments just to distract them. Right. Except was it like kale and things like that that no, she was handing them to she? You know what? Uh, that got oversold that, to the public. Well, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to claim that it got oversold. Mm -hmm. I think she. I'm not going to undermine <laughs> her brand here on your podcast. <laughs> Uh, no, I she want believes, you to sell out your she, wife. She on believes this show. in healthy eating, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, actually, she she's the first one to acknowledge that. Like, if you're on a long plane trip, in the same way that like we tried to limit screen time and right, but when the iPad was invented, 
Yeah. And you're on a coach flight to Hawaii. It's nine hours. Dude, take out the iPad. Oh, just we'll, let them zone out completely. Rules go out the window. Yeah. Well, yeah I, my, let my five-year-old watch, no. you know, nine and a half weeks. Of Sopran- <laughs> like, I didn't care if it was softcore. I didn't care. Just whatever it is, if it's going to shut you up, let's get. <laughs> nine and a half weeks. You're really dating yourself, man. I mean. <laughs> well, let's get into that because. <laughs> let's shift off into another topic. What are yes. we here to talk about? Okay. Well, we're going to. I just wanted, I wanted to start on the ways that, that I feel that I relate to you as, as a person. And then I want to talk about your book, which I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. But I want to start by saying it occurred to me that we do have things in common. We uh, similar ages, Mm -hmm. both uh, on the campus uh, in Cambridge at Harvard around the same time. Things have gone so well for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I've taken such a different path. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you something. Where did I, uh, there were choices. I read your book and I read it like someone looking at a roadmap, trying to wonder, this guy did everything right. Everything right. Don't don't you find, and look, I I know you're joking and- and No, 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 no. I'm not kidding. Well, you are. I'm very much in debt right now financially. I have a podcast (laughs) that I'm running out of a hotel. Uh, (laughs) You were the leader of the free world and icon. no. I, I'm not joking. Yeah, you are joking a little bit. We we both have been lucky. <laughs> Here here's one thing that that I don't know if you if you uh, agree with. I am very suspicious to folks who have been really successful in their fields mm-hmm. and don't attribute a big chunk of it to luck. Yes, like it, like if they don't acknowledge it. I, yeah. I see this more in the business world. That, you know, you'll meet you know, CEOs or right. uh, folks who've made a lot of money. And I, I worked for everything. This, this is all, you know. Right. And, and if, if you want my advice, you know, you, you need to put your nose to the grindstone and, you know, dare to be great and take risks. And you know, whenever I hear that, I always say, well, yes, you, you do have to work hard to succeed. But, you know, there are a lot of people who work really hard. Yes. And don't necessarily – succeed in those ways. They might succeed in other ways, satisfaction from their work or whatever. But, you know, when you end up hosting, uh, you know, a a late night show Mm -hmm. uh, or you end up being president of the United States, uh, part of it is is luck. There were a whole bunch of breaks that happened to you along the way. And and sometimes there are doors that open that you were willing to walk through, uh, partly because you're crazy uh, or you have a irrational confidence about yourself that doesn't entirely uh, I can re- I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I walked through such a door once yeah. and had uh, no reason. To, and and America agreed that I really uh, at 30 should not have been a host, should not have been on TV. And that was the, and, and so I in a small microcosm, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Which it's, a, is, it's, it's the same kind of thing. And, and, and so the number of times in which the whole arc of my life could have been entirely different or mm-hmm. derailed mm-hmm. uh yeah i i can chronicle them partly because i've i've, I've written that's one of the values of writing about the presidency or the campaign or you know the previous books i wrote it forces you to look back and reflect and you say oh well if that person hadn't done this or right. if this right. hadn't worked out that way or it would have been entirely different for me the thing that i probably do have i i can take credit for and have some control over is the decision I made to, in some fashion, be involved in public service, not mm-hmm. necessarily elected office, but I, I think no matter what, 
whether I was the mayor of Chicago or just was working as a community organizer still or the direction of, of saying, let me figure out how to give something that makes the larger world or my little corner of the world a little bit better and yeah. figuring out how to work with other people to do that. I think that was something that I can probably take some credit for. My favorite presidents have always been writers. I admire presidents that care about words and how they go together. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, my favorite president, Lincoln, yep. uh, you know, top five American writers. Top, right. Top no, 10. if I you mean, judge him just just as a writer, just he as would a writer. still have been an extraordinary American figure. Yeah. Um, he uh, I love that I'm talking to you in a secure environment uh, and there's we hear sirens outside. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> they're, they're coming to take me away. <laughs> the, uh, Colonel Bryan got to Obama. Get him out. Um, you know, <laughs> It's it's really interesting to me that uh, Lincoln, great writer, um, I think about this a lot. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt yeah, uh, really thought of himself as a writer. Jefferson, obviously, you talk about as a, as, a, as a writer. It's not something that's always common with our presidents, but you've always cared about writing. Yeah. And I really like your, your style, your pro style. It is very... Uh, lean it is very like you, you you choose your words very carefully and i was reading your book and i was thinking who do you admire as as, as writers. writers yeah as writers who are you yeah it, if it, you wanted to channel someone yeah yeah, yeah. you know it, it's interesting I, I mean i write about in the book that that um i was kind of a goof off ne'er-do-well partier most of through high school right and that probably the saving grace that made me a decent student and and got me into a decent college was I was a reader mm -hmm. and yeah. I learned to write from reading, right? Mm -hmm. Basically imitation. You you read folks and you say, hmm, I, I like how that person put that right. those words together. Um, and so, you know, there are classic writers like Hemingway or Faulkner, others, you know, who you read and you go, hmm, that person puts a puts a sentence together. Sometimes you know, James, sometimes James, Faulkner's don't end. Like, that's true. Like Hemingway right. so, so really puts a sentence together and Faulkner will put 60 <laughs> sentences together and forget to put a period in there. True. <laughs> different styles. Yeah, different um, styles. You know, uh, when, I, when I wrote my first book, Dreams from My Father, mm -hmm. um, and I had never written a book before, I hadn't, I'd never had anything published before other than like some student magazine stuff. Right. I can tell you that probably the, the writers I read most carefully were essayists. What they wrote was was nonfiction, but it was literature. Right. Uh, and right. and and probably the best example I can use it would be is James Baldwin. Yeah, like James Baldwin, I would read and I would just be dazzled by how precise he could capture really difficult feelings or concepts, but they were vivid and there was a story behind them. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, man, you know, how, how, how'd he do that? There was a British writer, uh, V.S. Naipaul. Mm -hmm. It was a, kind of a cranky guy. He didn't really uh, agree with his politics, but could just put together a sentence. And, and so I'd, I'd read that. And then fiction, Toni Morrison. I, I, I remember reading Song of Solomon, which is still one of my favorite novels. And I thought, you know, if, if, if in a nonfiction way, I could, I could write that way. And, and, you know, uh, now, that was, there's one question I did want to ask you is you are a natural writer. And 
I was curious, would you ever consider another genre? No, I'd never, I'd never write fiction. I don't have the imagination for it. You know who does is Malia, my daughter, Mm -hmm. you know, who's, who's taken up writing and she was interested in screenwriting and directing. She's in a, is she in a writer's room right now for a show? Yeah. And you know, and, and yeah, she is actually shockingly being paid to, uh, uh, you should have called words. me first. I would have said, this is, this but, is the worst, it's the worst food you'll ever eat. I've been in many a writer's room and some of the worst she, people you'll be around, but if she, it's all about, does she love it? Does she love she, it? She loves writing. But, but what I was going to say is, is that she just, even from a young age, even when she couldn't kind of put together plots or, you know, stuff didn't necessarily mm-hmm, make mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. But she could breathe life into a character. So, right. so. You'd read some things she wrote, and suddenly the character is alive, and you're kind of wondering, well, what are they going to do? And um, you wouldn't be surprised to meet them, uh, you yeah, know, at yeah. the bar downstairs. And and so you 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 kind of, I think there are certain people who have that gift. I don't, I don't have that gift. I I, I have the ability to, to observe what I see and write what I've experienced. Yeah. Um, but but I you know the the magic of. Of some, and it's interesting. I got to know Toni Morrison. I got to know, um, there are other writers like, uh, Marilyn Robinson, who wrote, uh, uh Gilead and, and some other books that I love. They're the kind of folks who, when you ask them what the process is, well, you know, a voice came to me and yeah. the characters started telling me a story and I just wrote it down. And, you know, they have that sort of mystical channeling of, I, uh, I feel something. That, I feel that way about songwriting, meaning it is Same a complete thing. mystery to me. Yeah. I'm a, amateur guitarist musician and i don't even there's a there's a chasm between me and writing a song that i i don't even i'm not even interested in trying to cross i don't understand it (laughs) but what you're what you're more or less said is there's no series of romance novels coming from you no no and and detectives you'd make a a great you could write a great detective story i dig a good thriller um Mm -hmm. you know that's right you like uh, clancy i i love clancy i love john le carre Right is, is uh, was outstanding, a, a great writer. Um, you know, uh, Walter Mosley, uh, Easy Rollins mysteries, excellent. But that's not my. You know, uh, <laughs> here here's the analogy. My wife and daughters tease me a lot about everything, mm-hmm. and I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm basically the brunt of all jokes in our household, um, and. Uh, one example of things they tease me about is is my dancing. They're all confident that they're superior dancers. Uh, they don't think I'm terrible. They think I'm okay for a dad, which I guess that's the best you're going to do. Um, but but part of the reason they they don't think I'm terrible is because I I, I stay in my lane. I stay in the cut, right? I, I go back and forth. You know, I, I don't do karate kicks and a bunch of those moves. And I think this is where you, this is where you and I differ, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure. I have long legs. And you're a tall and, guy. And I and use I, them. And, I, and, and uh, no one's safe within six right, feet of exactly. me. Exactly. I've seen you, I think, at a couple of our parties. I, 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 I seem to remember some crowd. I wasn't guys. invited. I got in. <laughs> <laughs> but, but writing's the same way. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, you, you kind of know what you know. Bas- basketball's the same way. The, uh, uh, in pickup basketball, you don't mind a guy who's not a star. But you just want him to stay in his in his comfort zone. You, you know, you don't want if if the guy can't shoot, then you know, don't jack up threes. You know, if 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 you're a big man there to to rebound, just rebound, man. I find it hilarious when sometimes I've been playing basketball and someone 
who really has no business shooting threes and does it with that confidence of a yes. Steph Curry. And it's going over the rim. It's yeah, going in the swimming terrible. pool. And they keep on taking them. And they keep taking them. Yeah. And every time they do it, they're like, nothing but net. And <laughs> no, it's- a- The other thing, and, and this relates, I think, uh, yeah. uh, to presidents writing books. I've known a bunch of celebrity types mm-hmm. who have that irrational confidence on the basketball court. They think because they're good at singing that they must be great at shooting and, or some movie stars, they think, you know, because I'm beloved, I must be a hooper. Those guys are annoying. The same thing is true with presidents in writing. It's like, all right, write, you know, write, write your presidential memoirs. Don't, don't, don't pretend like suddenly, uh, you know, you're going to write the great American novel. Right. I have a, write a good speech, you know, to stay in your lane. Okay. And I, I just want to stress again, if at any point you want to name names, if there's a celebrity out there, a movie star, feel free. We know, we, we yeah, know, it's Liam, we know all what? know it's Liam Neeson. And let, uh, let, let, let me tell you something. <laughs> um, you know, sorry. Um, I, I, I try to stay humble, but as the former president, that should be enough for you, Conan. I shouldn't have to also drop names on your show. All right. And yet it's not enough. It's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Okay. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, yeah. find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone (laughs) cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. 
So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it in Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. One of the things that I know you set out to do in this book, and I uh, thought you did it brilliantly, is you set out to put the reader into your position right. so that we would know what it was like to consider running for the presidency, start to run start to realize that you have a chance, start to realize that you're going to get the nomination, start to realize that you could really win this whole thing and then hold the office. Right. And I will tell you, it was terrifying. Mm. And I, I really do mean terrifying in a way to me as a reader that I thought, I understand how scary that must be. And you are almost, uh, you know, an emoji for calm confidence. You are very placid. You are very cool. You let us know in this book that you had a panic attack when you realized, wait a minute, I could win this thing, which I understand. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, there's a scene in the book where I, 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 I'm still at the threshold of having to make a decision about uh, whether or not to run. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, you know, I've gone through some briefings and I've you know, had conversations with a bunch of folks and I, I describe a scene talking to Teddy Kennedy and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Harry Reid. And they're actually shockingly uh, encouraging about this thing. And I come home from a, a trip. Uh, Michelle's already asleep and, and I'm falling asleep and, and I suddenly start up and I am just, um, you know, my heart is beating. 
I, and I, I get out of bed and I go get a drink. And, and what I realize is that what I'm, uh, uh, you know, what is, what is uh, creating anxiety is not the idea that I'd run and lose, but it's the idea that you'd run and win. Yes. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to describe uh, the moment and, and it usually happens in stages, but, but there comes a moment where you realize the enormity of the responsibility. Mm -hmm. I, you understand in the abstract, but there's right. a difference between thinking, yeah, you know, gosh, I'm commander in chief and I'm, I have to go around making decisions and uh, trying to get legislation passed. There's a, there's a difference between that abstract understanding and this visceral gut punch that everything you read in the newspapers or see in the news is suddenly your responsibility, right? That that if you, yeah. If you if you yeah. look if you open the you know uh, the the front page of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, every item on there in some fashion, right. Somebody expects you to do something about it. Yeah. And 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 that is a you know that that that's a different impression. The thing that um, the thing that I also try to describe though, and I'm glad you know you said that it gave you a sense of what it was like. Part part of my goal here is to demystify it, not mm -hmm. in a you know, sensationalistic way, but but to remind people this is a human enterprise. Every, every aspect of it, you know, running for president, being president, um, it's not out of the zone of what everybody experiences in work and life, and you know the stakes may be higher, right. uh, but but it, it it's recognizable. But part of what I also try to describe is this: the the thing that made me calm through that process was also realizing, you know what? It, 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 if if I was true to why I was doing it, mm -hmm. if I had kind of a north star, and you know, working hard, it goes without saying, but also surrounding myself with people who I trusted could check me, uh, would bring me new perspectives, if I ran a good process. If I did all those things, then I could at least have confidence, even if I didn't always get things right, that nobody could be making decisions any better than I was doing. Right. Right. That, you know, I I, I, I had put together a, a, a organization with integrity and I was operating with integrity within it. And you know, you're still going to screw up, but because it, it, it's, you know, it can be overwhelming and there's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and that is something I try to communicate to, to my kids and, and to young people. I, you know, if you're, if you're directionally correct and you're, uh, part of a team that, of people who are, who are doing the right thing and are, are willing to self-reflect and admit doubt, but then still act, not be paralyzed by it. You know, you, you usually you can get some good stuff done. Yeah, you definitely helped yourself a lot by having a very healthy family dynamic. But there's an element here that came out when I read the book that really resonated with me that I think is very important for people to realize, which is you have it in your part of your character is not to forget who you are. Right. Now, we all watched you become president as, as citizens. We watched it happen. The whole world watched it happen. You take us inside it. You become this iconic figure. There's the Shepard Fairey poster, Hope, and you are one of the most now recognized images in the world. That tends to, 
I don't want to say destroy people, but corrupt them. It, just, it, 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 it could very easily do that. What you do throughout, and it comes out in the book, is you're constantly reaching out to friends. You're constantly reaching out to people in your life. You're channeling your grandmother and saying, my grandmother came from Kansas, this little, depression. This little white lady banker from Kansas, from yeah. Peru, Kansas. That's yeah. where she was born. Yeah. Not not Peru, Peru, <laughs> Kansas. So in South America, they're saying it wrong. <laughs> they, that's what the folks in Kansas think, no doubt about it. But you know, what I took away from that is that there is a refusal that's part of who you are to surrender to that. Now, one of the things that comes with going to a, a fancy college that I experienced was every third person when I was at Harvard was telling me, I'm going to be president of the United States someday. <laughs> they were 19 years old and they were uh, assholes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And um, some of them, uh, you know, as we know, may end up someday being president, but that was not you. And, and I think those people would gladly surrender to any of the things that you could have surrendered to. Whereas you are saying, I'm not going to do that. You have a sense of irony about the whole thing, which to me is one of the key components of yeah, your character that comes out in the book. I appreciate that. I, I, yeah, I do think, you know, Michelle and I talk about this. I, people ask, you know, what are you most proud of coming out of the presidency? And I'll say, you know, the Affordable Care Act and the Paris Accords. And right, right. All kinds of stuff. But you know what? Coming out sane and our kids are sane mm -hmm. and we kept our friends and people who knew us before I'd gotten on the national stage yep. think I'm the same guy. Three of my closest friends are a, a fisherman, an accountant, and a manager at a yogurt plant in mm -hmm. Oregon. Mm -hmm. Known them all these years, and we still hang out, and, and we're still just as close. And, and that I do attribute in part to having a great partner in Michelle, who's as grounded as anybody. Uh, and if you know her mom – you know, and her family, you know, where yeah. she got that from. Um, and I do attribute some of that to my grandmother and, 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 you know, there was, there's a Midwestern sort of stoic, no nonsense, don't get too high, don't get too low. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, don't, don't brag about what you got. <laughs> you know, you don't know how long you're going to have it. And, uh, that sensibility, my grandmother did channel, uh, into me. I didn't even recognize it fully. It was that's an example of where writing is a useful exercise because sometimes during the course of writing, you kind of I, I loved her and and I knew how important she was to our whole family. But in the process of writing about her, I realized how much uh, yeah, I have a line in the book after I lose the New Hampshire primary, which was sort of a seminal part of our campaign right. because we had just won Iowa. Everybody was about riding to, high, riding yeah. high. Everybody's coordinating us. And then suddenly it just got slapped down. And, and, uh, and I, I as I write in, in the book, how we managed New Hampshire, you know, uh, the famous, yes, we can speech that mm -hmm. I gave one most important speeches I gave was actually after a loss. People actually don't remember that. Um, and my staff used to say that me, looking calm in that storm gave them a lot of confidence and actually helped us get through this. And I, I realized 
I actually sometimes operate best, most clearly, when all hell's breaking loose. There's a section of your book called uh, In the Barrel. And it, it, it really is, it's a really nice piece of writing too. You have this part of the book where you talk about what it's like to be in your position to be the president of the United States. And you're not just saying you, you can read this book and you can read that image and think this is undertaking any endeavor that's complicated where you don't have full control. Right. And you say, it's like going over a barrel in Niagara Falls. And, you know, I, I won't try to paraphrase it because it's really beautifully written, but it is a great description. It's a really visceral description of there's nothing I can do except trust that this barrel is going to rise. If it doesn't, <laughs> I've got nothing to worry about anyway. But I have often channeled um, my grandfather, my mother's father. Uh, what was, was he like, your, your, your grandfather? Great guy. You know, uh, he kind of always reminded me of W.C. Fields when we were growing up. And he, um, you did, know. Did you get part of your sense of humor from him? Oh, definitely. Very funny. Very funny man. Very funny people on both sides of my family. But everyone called him Hoofer because he knew some dance steps. He was a policeman in Worcester. Uh, he directed traffic in downtown Worcester. And he made, I think, the most he ever made was $55 a week. But he had a blast. He enjoyed his life. And he had a famous, um, during the 1938 hurricane, he had built a brand new garage and it blew away. And uh, his wife, my grandmother, came out and said, oh, Jim, Jim, the, the garage blew away. It blew away. It's completely gone. You just built it. It's brand new and it's gone. And he said, don't worry. I locked it. <laughs> and it, it was this and, and so there have been many occasions, some involving yeah. you, where I've been about to go on stage and you're in the audience or I'm following you at the White House Correspondence Center, which is a real treat. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, why you get to go first still baffles any comedian. It's so unfair uh, because you destroy. And then but back to my grandfather. Um, what do you think back to his attitude? What I do is I'll I'll channel that spirit and I'll think I'm some Irish guy. My people come from central Massachusetts. It's stunning that I'm here talking to you right now right. in a, in a hotel room that I believe I'm paying for, uh, uh, for a podcast. And I'm, I never lose. I think what you talked about earlier and you mentioned it and you talk about it in the book during the financial crisis, talking to all these titans of wall street who are so entitled yeah. and 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 acting like well our feelings are hurt you said something in a sense like you're you got us in this mess guys we got to uh, uh and and you're trying to negotiate a way through it but it really did make me realize that i always go back and i channel my grandfather and i think i'm not even really supposed to be yeah. here you know, and, I'm not. And, 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 and you locked the garage. That's I fine. locked the garage. You know, I, I love that. I, it's a great benefit of writing or just reflecting about your family. You know, uh, so often when we think about our past and our families uh, or the stories that are told about that process, it's all about trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Families are messy. And, you know, it, it, sometimes you have to learn about, all right, why am I doing destructive behavior? It's. Mm -hmm. Because I'm patterning after, you know, something I saw when I was a kid. The flip side is we maybe sometimes don't do enough to reflect on the strengths that we have, that we yeah. got just from seeing your grandfather, my grandmother, handling their business, having a sense of buoyancy or resilience. Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, that's something I've, I've, Michelle and I both have always tried to transmit to our kids is, you know, the benefit of keeping perspective is... You know, it allows you to 
maintain your grace both when things are going well, but also when things are going bad. Um, yep. Now, just a, an aside, when it comes to, to uh, doing stand-up, it's easier as president. Let's face it. Uh, you, know, you know, I'm glad uh, you brought this up. I, I mean, I'm so glad you brought this up. The fact this is, is the crux is of this interview the, right now. The, the fact is, is that <laughs> the ba- the bar for being funny as president is so low. Uh, it's a little bit like you know the 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 bear who hula hoops you know at the circus. Right, right. You're already ahead of the game because you're a bear and okay. you're hula hooping, so everybody's impressed. Uh, I'm going to disagree human, with you. If a human hula hoops, <laughs> eh, yeah, there are a lot of people who hula Okay, I'm going to disagree with you. Uh, first of all, I've I've done uh, two White House correspondence dinners, one under President Clinton and one, uh, uh, you know, with you. And um, both uh, I had, you know, was happy with my material. I worked really hard. Um, but it really struck me. It's so, you know, your whole book is about I'm going to tell everyone what it's like to be uh, President Barack Obama. I'm going to tell you what it's like to be me for a second, because I was up on that dais. And first of all, uh, First Lady could not have been nicer to me. And um, just such a, as you know, just such a lovely person and really putting me at ease. But then you get up, you get to go first. You have um, the best material. And also, I'm going to tell you, no, you're not a bear doing a hula hoop. You have the best delivery, comedic delivery of anyone. I, I think Reagan had great comedic delivery, but just as a comic, uh, I think you have the best delivery of anyone I've seen in national office. You got up there, you start destroying, literally destroying now, my job is I have all my jokes on a blue card. I have to make sure that I don't, because I follow you, if you touch an area, that's I, have a problem. To, I have to pull that card. That, that, that is a disadvantage. That, that, that's, and I, I acknowledged, I thought that was uh, unfair to you guys, but I didn't care because I, <laughs> I wanted to look good. No, no. And I, that's the reason the president goes first is because he wants to look good. I understand. And so, uh, you know, if, if you bomb, nobody cares. Sir, 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 we all understand why you do what you do. There's, It's no mystery why these things are happening. But the funniest part was the first lady was was chatting with me as you're, you're destroying. Just, yeah, she doesn't Just care. complete destruction. I've got my cards and I'd say – Term limits. Damn it. He mentioned term limits. And I'd start trying to pull the card out. And she would say, by the way, does your wife like? And I'm thinking, you, <laughs> you've got to let me concentrate. Yeah. See, I also set her up you to distract you. you. To take me down. The, wor- the worse you are, the better I look. That was <laughs> that, that. was our general theory about the, the correspondence. Well, there. I remembered you finished absolute destruction. And then there's no palate cleanser in between. No, you go, you go you, right up there. You, what's so funny is you, last thing you say, you like drop the mic. People are just molten. They're melt, they're, their humans are just, have melted. There's just joy still resonating, bouncing off the rooms. And then a voice of God just goes, ladies and gentlemen, Conan O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> and I can hear my shoe leather squeak as I walk up to the podium and I go, oh, hey, everybody. <laughs> and you can see they're all eating again. They don't care. Clinking. Yeah, clinking. And I look uh, over at you and you've got the biggest smile. You think it's really funny. I do. <laughs> I, I I used to enjoy watching you guys just, you know, <laughs> sort of. Well, what it was, it's a hole. Stew. And you got to dig yourself out yeah. of that hole. Yeah, I, I remember you. I, I got lucky it. and I found a. there was a mallet that someone had left there that you didn't use. No, I don't know. Someone used it and I found it and I just started banging the mallet and that sort of props, got people's props, attention. Props work. 
I am a props comic at heart. I, I know this. And I know that you had the mallet there because you might have used you should, it. You should have brought the dog with a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to bring him today. I love that, I love that guy. Triumph the insult comic dog. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, we thought that was the wrong. We pitched that to your people. I, I think then, that would have been great. A secret Where are my people? I would have loved that. A secret service guy. I love the insult dog. A secret service guy named Anton took it away from me as I walked into the room. <laughs> so uh, that's a bit of a disadvantage. Well. Um, but yeah, I um, I'm glad you apologized because that sounded like an apology. Sort uh, of. <laughs> by the way, uh, I think you're between two ferns with Zach Galifianakis. That was fun. just from a comedy. I love Zach, and I've known him for a long time. Your delivery on that and the way you played it was as good as any comedian could have done. He's actually hard to play against because look, the, the truth is, is that when you and I do, uh, when I'm on your shows, right. Uh, whenever I was on one of the late night yeah, shows, yeah. whether it was you or Letterman or, or Leno, all, all these folks, Kimmel, you guys actually go out of your way to make your guests feel good, right? Yeah, I, I, right. I, I, you know, that's part of your shtick is yeah. how, how do I frame and set the guests? You so say that, shtick. I say specialized skill. Yes. Well, no, I, I, I'm complimenting you, so just take it. Um, the, 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 the point is is that there there is a there's a generosity uh -huh. yeah. of, of how you hand, deal with your guests uh, mm -hmm. your, your goal is is to you know make them shine because that means they'll come back on the show and uh it it, it helps uh, the audience uh get to know them and they feel comfortable mm -hmm. um Somebody like a Zach, right? You kind of don't know no. what he's going to do. No, no. And he, he, and he may not mind doing something that actually makes you look stupid. Um, not not out of malice, but just no, just because he's so uh, you know he's he's just got a goofy off the wall. Well, he's uh, a, he's a sociopath, uh, <laughs> and I say that as a good friend. He doesn't he can't distinguish between right and wrong, and so Zach can't help it. Uh, that's just Zach. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products so your home is safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security systems from virtually anywhere. Google Nest cams can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. You can know that there's a package out there. I know. And not a person. You don't have to that do helps. anything. Yeah, sometimes a person rings the doorbell and I think it's a package. Anyway, <laughs> and with Nest Aware as part of your monthly ADT service, you can get 30 days of event video history, even smarter notifications like when a familiar or unfamiliar face is seen. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just a tap. I'm always setting off alarms accidentally. This is helpful for me. Oh, good. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, well, you got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up, and I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life 
very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. I wanted to say that one of the parts of the book that I appreciated the most, and this relates somewhat to comedy, you never lost your sense of the absurd. Mm-hmm. You never lost your sense that this is madness, yeah. that that the situation I'm in is crazy. And you talk about hanging out with your friends, waiting to hear if you've heard, you're about to hear whether or not you're going to be uh, the Democratic you know, no. nominee. Right. And you're hanging out backstage and Stevie Wonder's singing. And you said you were with your friends and you're eating chicken, waiting to hear if one of you is going to be. Right. And it was this piece of writing that I thought, okay, in a very tight sentence, you encapsulated all of these absurd. There's one that really stuck out for me in the book. And it's when you've been told during this dinner that it was during a, a military action in Libya that one pilot is missing. Yeah, a, a plane go- has gone down. A plane has gone down and a pilot's missing. Uh, uh, both pilots eject. Mm-hmm. One of them lands safely. The other one is out in the Libyan desert. Right. We have no idea whether he survived or not, whether he's been captured or not. Uh, there's a search and rescue mission. Meanwhile, I'm at a state dinner in Chile. So you're at in this big state dinner with, um, you'll know his whole name, but a gentleman named Piñera. Piñera. He's President Piñera. And his lovely wife. I knew that, sure. Um, (laughs) And anyway, you said for the next 90 minutes, you're waiting to hear if uh, a human life has been lost or if this person will be saved. For the next 90 minutes or so, I smiled and nodded as Piñera and his wife, Cecilia Morel Montez, told us about their children and how they first met and the best seasons to visit Patagonia. At some point, a Chilean folk rock band called Los Jaivas started to perform what sounded like a Spanish version of Hair. And I read that and I read it as like, that is up there. That is truly comedic writing. You're just reporting what happened, but you have an eye for how absurd this is now, fortunately. So no one's in suspense. You get the tap on the shoulder that they've, they've uh, found uh, the, the missing yeah. flyer and he's safe. But you're so many times, I think the most absurd example, a White House correspondence dinner that I was not at, uh, that you have planned the bin Laden raid. You've been it's been, it's been it. ordered. It's been ordered. And your job is now to go and do essentially stand-up comedy in front of the press corps and a bunch of celebrities. And you've got to do that while mentally you have a compartment of your brain yeah. that's trying to keep track of where we are in the bin Laden raid to catch the most notorious criminal in history. And I just, I, I just thought, okay, I know how to do one of those things. Kind of? Never in a million years. I don't understand how you could do both. Well, it, it, it is interesting. The, the need to keep a bunch of ideas, not just two ideas, but a bunch of ideas mm-hmm. in your head at the same time and, and accept the contradictions of that. Right. 
And that comes up all the time in the presidency. Look, it comes up in life. It's just it's more vivid in the presidency. You know, uh, you have to be able to focus on the fact that, all right, if I get this decision wrong, maybe the U.S. auto industry collapses. But I can't be so overwhelmed by that decision that I can't make the decision. Right. I also have to keep in mind that Malia's soccer game is that afternoon. And I promised I was going to stop by. And when I'm there, I've got to be present for her so that she knows that her dad cares about her. And that's your entire world is how mm -hmm. Sasha and Malia uh, are growing up. And you've got to keep that in mind at the same time as, you know, you're uh, recognizing that in, in both circumstances, both raising your daughters and the U.S. auto industry surviving, uh, the stakes are extraordinarily high and you're going to do your best, but you're also going to at some point make some mistakes and screw up and that's okay. That doesn't mean you should not try to do your best to juggle all this stuff. Right. But all those things become part of, you know, the stew of, of your, your day-to-day -day experience. And part of what I try to communicate in the book is that although, although it's, the kinds of problems are unique to the presidency. Juggling work, family, a, an amazing wife who is fed up with your BS, <laughs> dealing with people at the office who aren't always as cooperative as you like, in my case, Mitch McConnell and uh, John Boehner. You know, that that's... They're close friends of mine. Those are things we all have to deal with. Um, <laughs> yeah. And... and, and uh, the one thing I didn't have to deal with, as I point out, is commuting because um, you know, right. everybody came to me. That was uh, helpful. I, I want to make sure that I don't keep you too long, but uh, there was one area that I wanted to bring up here at the end, which is uh, this is not so much in the book, but it's a theme that I think you've had that's really resonated with me. Because people know I'm a history buff, they often say, are things now worse than they've ever been because of the state of the world mm -hmm. and the last couple of years? And I always try to give them the perspective that things have always been really rough. Um, I've had many people on my staff sometimes come to me and say, is this the worst it's been in the country? And I say, you know, we had a civil war. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people died and it was awful. And uh, we're still recovering from that. Trying to give people a sense of perspective. And I've heard you talk about this a lot, that the problems we have today aren't all new. They're different, sometimes they're more potent. But I came across this uh, quote that blew me away. It's uh, by Ulysses S. Grant. But I swear to God, if you didn't know any better, you'd say someone said this yesterday. But this is Ulysses S. Grant. If we are to have another contest in the near future of our national existence, I predict that the dividing line will not be Mason and Dixon's, but between patriotism and intelligence on the one side and superstition, ambition, and ignorance on the other. Sounds that right. could have been said yesterday, and he's saying this in the 1870s. And it goes back to this thing that I sort of wanted to hear you talk just for a second about, which is we've always been a divided nation. Uh, I think I said to you once years ago, George Washington had a rough second term. <laughs> he was the first guy. And, you know, we have had, it's always been a challenge. It's always been an experiment. But am I right? 
that many of the things we're dealing with, disinformation, yes, it's more potent now, but it's existed before. Absolutely. First of all, you know, you ask some, or people have asked me how I, you know, stay calm. It is true. Some of it's just temperament, some of it channeling my grandmother. A lot of it is just keeping uh, some sort of long-term perspective about human affairs. You know, everything right in front of us always looks like just the worst thing. Mm-hmm. The This has never happened before. All you have to do is go back. You don't have to go back to Ulysses S. Grant in mm-hmm. the Civil War. Uh, look at 1968, where you have you know, Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King shot in the same year. You got a Democratic convention that is a complete street fight. Street fight. You've yeah. got a Vietnam War that is ripping the country apart. Um, you, you have the FBI engaging in all kinds of behavior that in later years it'd be revealed, you know, wouldn't, it was appalling, um, riots in major cities all across the country. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that we're, we're just talking 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, if you really want to get a taste of, of, um, how bad human affairs can get, then, you know, you go back a little further. Uh, there, there's a reason why. Our great, great, great grandfathers came from Ireland. This thing called the <laughs> the famine. Yeah. yeah. In which, you know, Ireland, Ireland's not a big place. No. Millions of folks couldn't eat because <laughs> yeah. of the bad crop, right? Or you can go a little back a little further and, and read about, um, you know, how Genghis Khan operated to consolidate his empire. I, right. I, so, so what I always tell young people is, uh, if you if you examine history, then you come to the conclusion that as terrible as things are, in so many places, in so many corners, as much injustice, cruelty, mm-hmm. horrible stuff that's going on, the world is healthier, better educated, kinder, less violent, wealthier, on average, mm-hmm. than just about any time in human history. Now, we've got some big problems that maybe stand outside of history. If we don't get those right, then we may not recover, right? Climate change being an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you have to really have a long-term perspective and feel okay about us being the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and maybe not making it. The planet will survive, but, but civilization may not if, we, if you don't get some of those big irreversible things right. But when it comes to just human interaction, um, you know, uh, we make progress. The problem is we just don't make progress in a straight line. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no better example. You know, you just read that passage from Grant. Um, yeah, there, th- that's where there's no better example than the problem of race in America. Mm-hmm. There is genuine progress, but it is jagged. Ralph Ellison wrote about in which history is like a crab. You know, it, it can skitter forward, but it can also skitter backwards and sideways. And mm-hmm. when it comes to race in our society, because we never did a full reckoning, because we we tried to sometimes get uh, expiation of our sins on the cheap and papered over things and didn't want to talk about things. And, uh, you know, as a consequence, it continues to pop up in ways that I think for our kids' generation, sometimes they're surprised by. It's, it's, it was interesting watching after George Floyd and the protests and Malia and Sasha and her, their friends were actively involved in a lot of this stuff. It was, it, it was interesting to see they took for granted that some stuff had been solved, right? Okay, yes, maybe we haven't fully taken into account of the fact that 
African-Americans fell deeply in the hole economically as a consequence of slavery and Jim Crow and being excluded from professions and unions and trades. And uh, so there's some catching up to do. But they didn't think that there was just they were surprised to see institutionalized racism in such a bare form. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that part of what ha has happened uh, with race in, in the last few years, and I saw it, I write about it in the presidency mm -hmm. with birtherism and the, uh, some of the stuff that was said about uh, not just me, but my family mm -hmm. uh, during the course of my presidency. You know, uh, Some of the rawest forms of racial prejudice are, are still there in the surface. But that that doesn't negate what is also true, which was I was elected twice. And you know, there are a lot of non-African-American women who really do love Michelle Obama. <laughs> oh, I've seen it. I've, I've been at rallies with her and I've seen it. It's insane. And, and, it's, yeah. it's, and, it's, and it's sincere. And it's not to negate the fact that um, this younger generation does have a different attitude uh, around race compared to when we were growing up just as they have genuinely different attitudes around sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and again, it's, it's possible for us to keep those contradictory ideas in mind at the same time, that the progress is real, but it doesn't mean it's inevitable or permanent. It doesn't mean that we don't have to nurture it and encourage it. It doesn't mean that it can't go backwards. Um, you know, you mentioned the problem of disinformation. Um, look, there's always been disinformation. You know, you had a like a Father Coughlin who was on the radio, yeah. the most popular. You know, he was Rush Limbaugh, uh, but probably had a bigger audience. Or certainly had a, a a bigger market share mm -hmm. of of uh, the radio audience back then, and was you know a flat out uh, anti you know Semitic and and you know nativist and all kinds of bad impulses that are uh, there in the underbelly of, uh, of American culture. So, so this stuff's not new. We have to be vigilant. We have to work hard. We have to push um, and be resilient. Uh, but part of being resilient is also recognizing where progress is made. And it, it's, it's hard to be hopeful and resilient if you think that no matter what you do, it's a bad outcome. Um, you know, you stay hopeful because you cling to those moments where, oh, I did this work and it made a difference. Um, and uh, and and that I think is what what I hope I've instilled not just in my daughters and Michelle's instilled in our daughters. I, I hope that our our body of work that continues uh, is instilling in young people that sense of yeah, it's hard. You're not going to get 100% of what you're hoping for. There will still be injustice and racism and ignorance. and But you can make things better. And, and I, I, I think I mentioned in, in the book, I used to tell some of my younger staff, you know, when they were a little disheartened by some of our setbacks and frustrations or compromises we had to make, better is good. I'll take better every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been an absolute joy as a as a fan, but as a, as really as also just a fan of, uh, your writing. And as I said, your ability to be human and humane and funny and see yourself in a comical way, um, it, at times, and then communicate all that to us in this book, uh, is it's a real gift. Well, so I, appreciate I appreciate that. You know. And, um, you're my friend and you know, friends are important. You said you were ambivalent. 
I'm not ambivalent after this show. I think. <laughs> I think. I think. Now, now I, I, I feel. I feel fully invested. Okay. In our friendship. <laughs> well, I'll be by tonight. No, uh, I, I. Well, but, you what know, do you mean? No, well, I, I, I mean, know you're going to eat dinner somewhere, and I intend yeah, to be there. But you know, there's that concentric circle of friends. I understand. You know, oh, yeah. I, yeah. you're still on the outer. <laughs> <perimeter>. <laughs> you're, you're still on the outer ring. By the way, I am the wise ass <laughs> white guy taking threes that don't go anywhere near. <laughs> I am that guy. And, I, can, I can tell, man. Yes, and I do shout uh, <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing but net every time it goes up, uh, regardless, and I won't stop taking those. <laughs> threes and um yeah you're I definitely not care. my you're definitely you're my friend but not my basketball teammate <laughs> <laughs> it was good to see it was it was fun to be with you the, it, you know what sir it's an honor thank tell, you very tell, much tell your tell your family tell your crew i said hi i don't talk to them okay <laughs> conan o'brien needs a friend with conan o'brien sonam obsession and matt gorley produced by me matt gorley Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.